And also, when people give you advice, you will avoid the mistake they are explaining to you, but you will find your own new mistakes that nobody warned you about. Uh, this journey is not without without mistakes, and I think I've learned far more from the mistakes that I've made. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in the Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Jody McDonald, president and founder of Keystone Labs Inc. I'm excited to speak to Jody today about her entrepreneurial journey. Welcome Jody. Thanks Heather, I'm really excited to be here. To start off with, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I am a science geek, which my (laughs) husband really cringes when I say that, but um, I love science. I love discovery. I love all of the magic that happens in the eureka moment and all the buildup to that moment. And so I started Keystone Labs in 2005, knowing that I was born to do science, and that's what we've been doing ever since. We're a third-party contract test lab. And we support health innovation in, in Canada specifically, but we've had clients around the world. Lately, we've been really getting into cannabis testing. We've been doing cannabis testing since 2015. And that is a huge, exciting area of growth for us. Well, that's really exciting. I particularly like the fact that you wanted to have a business focused on the Eureka moment, because certainly when I studied science in school, there was nothing better than the Eureka moment when you managed to actually get that. (laughs) It is so true. And one thing that I have learned is the Eureka moment looks the same in every language, which is something really I was, yes, I used to share an office with a gentleman from China, and he got as excited as I did, and I knew when things were working. Who knew that science was a universal language that everybody in whatever culture could understand? That's fascinating little fun fact. Can I ask you, when you started Keystone Labs, what were your expectations, and how have those been met or not fifteen years down the track? I started my business with the intention to fill a need in the health innovation space in Canada. I worked for an innovative organization in the province of Alberta, and I know we were doing a lot of our own testing in our own QC lab, but lots of what we were doing was being sent out to other third-party labs, two third-party labs, uh, one in Canada, and but mostly in the U.S., and I just felt like there had to be a Canadian answer. And certainly there was room in Alberta for a third-party test lab to, to be focused really on healthcare um, and health innovation. And I just really thought I could make a difference. And I think we have made a difference. Some of our very early clients that we've worked with are still with us 15 years later. And that um, makes me happy every day. Yeah, that yes. we've made a difference for them to achieve their goals and they're still around and still innovating. One of the traits that entrepreneurs always hear about when they're thinking of starting businesses is the need for resiliency. What does that mean to you? 
And how have you found it and, and, and continued to focus on building it in your business? I, yes, this is a lesson that I came to, uh, as you do with things in the entrepreneurial space, uh, very, I learned it hard, not fast, but I learned it hard. <laughs> when I started my business, everything seemed to go along according to my written risk business plan, which I'm sure happens to everyone. And uh, about six months in, I realized I had no idea what I was doing. And so I started, well, I realized I didn't know everything. And so I needed help. So I reached out to people that I knew who I respected and who were successful in their own space. And I started to build a community around me. And some of that community that I brought in was pre-built. I worked with the Alberta Women Entrepreneurs on their accelerator program, mm -hmm. which was a, a program focused to support women entrepreneurs in the province. But I also brought in some of my own uh, experts into my community, and that gave me support and gave me a resource to tap into when I needed help beyond my own skills. And that was the beginning of building some resilience in my business. Having the support allowed me to explore some new opportunities for growth in my business, which I realized, again, I couldn't do alone. So I had to build a new network of people who knew stuff in the new space that I was entering into. And that allowed me to become successful in a new avenue of business, a new channel of business faster and more efficiently. Right. That, that built that community of, of like-minded or smart people. And, and from what I hear you're, you saying, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be made up entirely of people who are in the same industry as you. Um, but you know, the lessons that they may have learned in their industry may have, you know, may give you some ability to focus on, on a different way to solve a problem or, you know, how to, how to approach it differently. It doesn't necessarily have to be completely tied to your industry. Is that, do I have that correctly? Yeah. I think you have told me more than once in my journey that business looks the same, no matter what the industry is. I mean, definitely each industry has certain nuance or culture things right, that you have to right. sort of navigate. But the business of being in business is the same, no matter what the business is. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And that is very consistent with, with what I see across my practice. There's obviously, you know, regulatory things that can be different, or as you say, specific nuances. But a lot of the foundation, I think, is transferable from industry to industry. I think I found that sort of breadth of experience in the Alberta Women Entrepreneurs Group, the accelerator group, allowed me to see that in practice, that trouble with human resource happens in human resource companies even. And <laughs> even there. Companies, even there, yeah. And the ways or the strategies to deal with problems or to build resilience in your business were very similar. It didn't matter which company was presenting the problem or the brainstorming that happens afterwards. I think it's also interesting too, that really speaks to the need to really build that resiliency muscle, right? Like it's not like just because you happen to be in, in, in a particular industry that resilience is one of the things that comes naturally to that industry. I think that all companies like the HR company that has problems in HR, they need to work on sort of the same things and problem solving and making sure that they're actively um, investing in in that growth and that that need to become resilient. I don't think it just is something that appears overnight. I think it, it's true for all businesses. 
Yeah, I agree. We just spoke about resiliency in building a business. Another key message that entrepreneurs are often told they need is the need for diversification and or innovation. And you touched on this a little bit with your Eureka comment. I wondered if you can talk a little bit more about diversification and and maybe what I know some of the things that that you've done um, to to diversify your your business and your, you know, your offerings. And I wondered if you could maybe share a little bit about that and or maybe what what the current pandemic has done for you or for companies that you know of in terms of driving that need for diversification. When I started Keystone, I thought the diversity that I offered was that we would test for anybody. We would do anything for a dollar is what we used to say. It gets really expensive to run a business that way. So you have to really focus on what you do well. And then right. from that position, recognize what services then apply to other industries. I would say early in 2010, we got a random call, which is how I used to do sales. We just waited for the phone to ring <laughs> because I'm an introvert. Seems like a strategy. Phone. Yeah, it was yes. very successful for a while. And it was a laundry service company that had a contract with a health authority. And they needed to show that their laundry process was providing a level of cleanliness to the hospital that they were serving. And so we adapted some of our methods that we use for our pharmaceutical products to apply to the laundry service industry. It was a service offering. I can... guarantee was not part of my original business plan or even the business plan that I was writing the day before we got that phone call. So fast forward a few more years, we started to get calls in in 2013 as the federal government here in Canada started to transition from a single producer supply model for cannabis for Canadians to a more commercially uh, regulated or federally regulated commercial industry. We were getting calls from people who were growing cannabis in their basements looking for a test lab. And it took me about eight months with about 30 calls a week to figure out that there was potentially a business opportunity for us. And in that moment, trying to assess the business opportunity, I reached out to a really close personal friend who has mentored me through some some of my most difficult business decisions. And we sat down and looked at it and she helped me realize that there was really an opportunity for us to grow. It was a lot of the same testing services that we provide to our pharmaceutical and natural health product companies. There was a few items that we would have to become experts in very quickly in order for us to compete. And the basic business model didn't change. It was just what services we were offering and who we were talking to on a daily basis. And that has allowed us to weather a downturn in research and development in the province. And now that the cannabis uh, industry is starting to go through some shrinkage, some right-sizing, our pharmaceutical side of the business has carried us through some some difficult times, especially going into COVID. And COVID has allowed us another opportunity to sort of pivot and explore some opportunities to support local companies here in Alberta who are looking to provide hand sanitizer specifically into the market. So we've been working really closely with some hand sanitizer producers in the province, making sure that the products they're producing are safe and don't go into a recall, which we've seen a lot of just recently. So it's interesting, you're, you know, the, the laundry pivot, the cannabis pivot, and the hand sanitizer pivot, I predict were not in your original business plan or in, as you say, sort of the the, the future iterations of that. 
but it, that that really points to me to the the concept that you need to kind of keep your options open and your eyes wide open um, as an entrepreneur to be able to think a little bit differently about like your mentor sort of coached you through and, and think a little bit differently about, well, what business are you in? Well, we're in the business of providing services. And if you've got the the process or the facilities to implement the the testing, even if it's slightly different from what you originally thought, it still can fit within the the mandate or the mission of, of why the company was started. And I think that many entrepreneurs who recognize that and, and capture those opportunities and and really try to move them forward are so much better off than the ones who say, well, I, I wrote a business plan and my business plan says that I'm going to do X. And if I'm not doing X, then I'm not actually, you know, doing my my mission. And I think that they, they can potentially have blinders on and then not be able to even see the opportunities that, uh, that come up. That specific example, I've written a business plan and the opportunity that's in front of me doesn't fit in the business plan gives me so much anxiety. I <laughs> Nothing I ever wrote in my business plan was opportunities that I ended up exploring. I think definitely the business plan is just sort of in this moment, this is what I believe I can do. And then when you're yes. actually in the doing, <clears throat> you have to do whatever's in front of you. I, I agree. I was going to say, I think that I have a, a subset of entrepreneurial clients that I work with who say to me, don't bother writing a business plan because nothing you will ever, nothing will ever happen the way that you think your business plan will will turn out. And I, I'm not sure that that's exactly the lesson here because I do think that the discipline of of thinking through you know how you're going to run your business and what's the platform and what's the foundation really cements in one's mind what you know how you can then be open to interpreting the opportunities that that come along. I agree. I think the discipline is the lesson in the business plan project. I think knowing the resources you have and the journey that you intend to be on allows you to be open to those opportunities for sure. Well, I think that's a, a very valuable lesson. We don't want to leave the, the, the message that business plans should go out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of lessons, what are some lessons that you have learned through your journey. You've talked a little bit about resiliency and innovation and diversification and the need to build community. If you could go back to the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey and and tell your younger self some things that you know now, is there a message that we can share with would-be entrepreneurs who are just beginning their journeys? Well, I feel like if you are considering an entrepreneurial journey, you've done the fitness for this lifestyle testing. Like, right. do you have the do you have the threshold for risk that's required? So, all of those things do something you're passionate about. I I think for me, the the things that I learned early on were nothing is for free. Uh, when somebody offers right. to do a free thing for you, there is a cost. It may not be monetary, but there is a cost. Right. So just recognize that when you're asking for favors from people. Any good advice you get from people, absorb. Understand that their circumstance is different than yours and the journey they are on is different than your journey. And also, when people give you advice, you will avoid the mistake they are explaining to you, but you will find your own new mistakes that nobody warned you about. <laughs> Uh, this journey right. is not without 
without mistakes. And I think I've learned far more from the mistakes that I've made. I didn't really ever believe I was an entrepreneur. And in getting ready for this interview, in my mind, an entrepreneur is somebody who is relentlessly pursuing new opportunities for business. And for many, many years, I was doing one thing all the time, every day, all hours of all days. And in getting ready for this discussion with you, I realized that I've actually started a number of businesses. I've innovated some products that our lab works with um, external clients through. So I feel like my idea of what an ideal entrepreneur was has taken me most of my now entrepreneurial life to sort of realize. I've been a part of multiple startups. I've been a part of a, a long, successful business. So my advice would be hang in there. It's, it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you say that, you know, it's taken you a while to realize that the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey could be viewed, I guess, a few different ways. And I think that maybe that's a really important message to leave with our listeners as well, which is that, you know, just because you're doing something, even if you work for a big company or you, you know, you work for a not-for-profit or wherever you might work, there's the ability to be entrepreneurial and there's the ability to carry out something that you're passionate about and to try to make a difference and to have those eureka moments without, you know, being tied to a particular label or being tied to a particular title of entrepreneur. And that has to mean this one thing all the time. I think that that might be a, a really you know, hopeful message for some of our listeners, which is that we, an entrepreneur can meet you where you are, right? Like if you want to be part of an entrepreneurial journey, that's fine. Let's just take it, you know, where you, where you're at and let's turn this into whatever you desire as an outcome for that particular project or that particular moment without having to be caught by either a positive or a negative label of an entrepreneur, but that you can, you can carry those things out and still, and still embody those, uh, those attributes. Absolutely. And I would say, if you even think that you're interested, go for it. Well, that's a pretty hopeful message for would-be entrepreneurs, if I've ever heard one. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've, you've heard me in my dark moments, Heather, so you caught me on a good day. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for the good days. Because <laughs> those bad days aren't all that they're cracked up to be. No, but they also end. The bad days end. That's true. Well, thank you, Jody, for taking time to chat with us about your entrepreneurial journey. I think that you've you've distilled several uh, really important messages and I think busted a few myths about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And I know that our listeners will really appreciate listening to your message. Well, thanks for your time, Heather. I really had fun. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.